Welcome to Our Lord's Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit OLCC.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at OLCCOKC. We are uh, in week three in our series on the book of Revelation, and I just want to make a little prefatory comment here that it's a great time to be in this book with everything going on culturally and politically, and so I want us to see the study of Revelation in the cultural context that we're in right now. And I also want to invite us lovingly and graciously into some repentance. Um, I've been repenting this week for uh, being obsessed with politics. And so I want to turn from that. And I was reading a couple of scriptures this week. One is Psalm 146.3. And this is David speaking for the people of God. And he says, we do not trust in princes, we could say presidents, or political leaders. And then Jeremiah in chapter 17, verses 5 and following, he's speaking to the people of God who keep putting their trust in the leaders around them, the leaders of Egypt and other Assyrian leaders. And listen to what Jeremiah says, this is the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, cursed are those who trust in mere mortals and make mere flesh their strength, whose hearts turn away from the Lord. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord God. And so we at our Lord's are refocusing our attention right now and we, we say consistently that we are politically involved, we read, we know what's happening around us, but ultimately our allegiance is not in any political leader. Amen? So you can look back, Bush, Clinton, Obama, Bush, Another Bush. Thank you. I just went totally blank. See, I'm repenting so much, I'm already forgetting them. (laughs) Biden, fill in the blank. We do. We want to be well-read. We want to know what's going on. But ultimately, folks, these people come and go. They come and go. But the kingdom of God doesn't. And so we, I, I like to say around here, President Jesus, King Jesus, the ultimate allegiance in our heart is to him. And these folks will let us down. No matter what your political persuasion is, you will be disappointed because these people are not divine. They're not God. Jesus is Lord, like the early church said. So this morning, we're going to refocus our attention on the king and his kingdom. If you want to look in Revelation 1, we're going to be looking into verses 9 through 20 at this perfect book to help us with our attention, looking at the Lordship of Jesus. One gentleman says this, a guy named Richard Bauckham. We sang about this, but he says, the whole book of Revelation could be regarded as a vision of the fulfillment 
of the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Your name be hallowed, your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so the book of Revelation is about that. It's about the church believing and praying and leaning into your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The past couple of weeks, we've been looking at some introduction material to the book of Revelation, and we saw that first and foremost, the book is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not a revelation of end-time events. It's not a revelation of whatever school of eschatology or end times. It is a revelation of the person of Jesus. And it's the unfolding of him and his personality and his work in the church across time. We're also seeing that John said, the Lord said through him, that we're blessed when we read it and when we obey it. And a third thing is that we're consistently asking, as we look at the text for the Sunday, what did it say to them? Making sure we understand it in that first century context. And then what is it saying to us? Making an application in 2021. So in these verses here, as we look at John's vision of Jesus in verses 9 through 20, we're going to look at three things. Briefly, we're going to look at the context or the setting where John's located when this vision happens. Then we're gonna look at Jesus as the son of man in the church. Then we're gonna look at Jesus, the first and the last, the living one. The first thing here in verses 10 through 11, I'm gonna read the, the passage here. Get so excited, we gotta to remember to read the passage. And Why don't we stand up so that we get a hold of that blessing that's mentioned in the first few verses of Revelation, blessed, Anybody want a blessing this morning? Read the book. Read it. Lay hold of that blessing. So Revelation 1, 9 through 20. I, John, your brother, who share with you in Jesus the persecution and the kingdom and the patient endurance, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white as wool, white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined as in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining with full force. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, and see, I am alive forever and ever. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Now write what you have seen, what is and what is to take place after this. 
As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw on my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. So the historical context is in verses 9 through 11. John was in exile, and what does the text say? Why was he there? Why was he cast out of his home city where he lived? He was placed in exile. Why? For the word. So he had been preaching and doing the work of an apostle, and apparently the state didn't like it. The empire said, we've had enough of you, and so we're going to place you on this small island off the coast of Ephesus, off the coast of Asia Minor, small little island, about 13 square miles. We're going to stick you there, John, for your latter days. You're in your 90s, and we're going to place you there. But it's there that the Lord met him, isn't it? It was in the twilight days of his life, in a dark place, sent to be alone, in exile, kind of a prison of sorts, and that is where the word of the Lord came to him. Verse 10 says what? He was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Friends, we were in the Spirit a few minutes ago, and we're in the Spirit now. This is language taken from the Old Testament. The prophets Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and others talk about being in the Spirit, caught up in the presence of the Lord. The Old Testament talks about the hand of the Lord coming on the prophets, and that's precisely what's happening with this New Testament prophet, the Apostle John. He is in the Spirit. He's in a state of worship, probably been worshiping, praying, and it's the Lord's Day. It's Sunday. This is one of the only places in the entire New Testament that talks about this. And what we're seeing is that the Lord's Day is the new Sabbath. It was Saturday for the Jewish people, and now it's Sunday. It's the day of new creation based on the resurrection of Jesus. So John, in prayer, in worship, is in the Spirit. He says at verse 9a here and 10 that he heard a loud voice behind him. I gotta say this, it's coming to mind here. Friends, this can be a kind of abstract, strange things. History, we're looking back 2,000 years ago, or we can think, you know what? We can spend a little time on Patmos. We can be exile people. And it's there that the Lord meets us oftentimes. Anybody else feel totally outcast? I mean, you are alone. He was alone. He was on prison island, and it's there that the Lord met him, but it's because he got in the Spirit. One person says, on Patmos we suffer, in the Spirit we reign, and so it doesn't matter where you are, what situation you're in. Are you in a little Patmos right now? In Patmos, we suffer, and we should expect that. But in the Spirit, we reign. Why is that? Because John was caught up and saw things the way God saw them. He got God's perspective in the Spirit. So as a, a church this morning, we get caught up in the Spirit. 
We get lifted up to a place and we go, ah, this is how it is. This is how it should be. My life is a wreck. My country is struggling. I've got lost family members who need to get saved, but I am in the spirit and I'm seeing things from God's vantage point. Immensely practical stuff here, isn't it? John hears a voice, a loud voice, kind of like Brad's, when Brad spoke into the microphone and it was really loud, and all of us kind of, that's how it was. It was a loud voice, like a trumpet. And again, we mentioned from day one, this book is so full of symbolism. So when John mentions the sound of a trumpet, the original readers would have said, ooh, I've heard that before. In the book of Exodus, Exodus 19, there was an appearance of God called a theophany. God appeared, and it was a sound of a trumpet that woke everybody up and got to see God, the fiery God of Israel. And so that's what John is saying here. I'm, I'm hearing that same trumpet sound that I've read about in Scripture. And John begins to have a series of visions. And look at verse 11. The voice says, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. So I wanted you to see up here. I put a picture. That's the seven churches. We're going to get familiar. That little yellow swath there on the right. The seven churches there, again, based on an ancient postal route, starting with Ephesus. The communications for that part of the empire flowed through there, and John is sending his own divine communication, a letter from God containing this revelation that's going to circulate through the seven churches. And I've got a slide there of what this scroll may have looked like, if you want to flip to that. Pretty primitive looking, isn't it? When the text says, write in a book, it's basically saying, use some of the parchment that's around you that grows near the water and press it together and write on it. And that's probably what it looked like. We know that because we found some ancient documents. So just think, they had a letter like this, an original revelation from the heart of God, and it circulated among the churches. And as it circulated, they wrote it down. They committed much of it to memory, and then they wrote it down. So John is commissioned here to do that, to write in a book, and thankfully he did just that. He wrote it, and now this vision becomes our vision. What we're going to see here is one of the most stunning visions in all of Scripture and all of the New Testament about the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. And what's interesting, think of all the different things that could have happened in this moment. The churches, those seven churches were experiencing the boot of the empire beginning to fall upon them and press them. And John could have given them all kinds of advice, couldn't he? He could have said, hey, do this, consider this. And what does he hold up before them? What does Jesus give? A vision of himself. And so we're seeing from the beginning that it's a vision of the Lord Jesus that gets us through anything. And so I'm inviting us this morning, lift your eyes, have a fresh vision of the Son of Man. 
That is what gets you through the hardest times. That is what breaks the power of addiction in your life. That is what gives you hope and confidence. If relationships are falling apart, if you're struggling at work, whatever it is, a fresh vision of Jesus is what pulls us through. And that was true for this early church that was facing persecution and martyrdom on the horizon. So along with the setting and the context, John begins to talk at verses 12 through 16 about the content of the vision, and it's the Son of Man among the lampstands. It's really interesting. John heard before he saw, didn't he, at verse 10. Verse 12, he heard before he saw. It was auditory before it was visionary. The Lord uses our senses, and that's something that we're committed to learning around here, is that God speaks first and foremost through the written word, doesn't he? Speaks through scripture, through the words of scripture, but God does not have laryngitis. God continues to speak, yes, through the text, but through the voice of the Holy Spirit. Galatians says that all who are children of God are led by the Spirit of God. And so John had his senses trained to hear, to see. The Word of God had coursed through him and purified his mind so that he could hear from the Lord in a moment like this. So John turns to see who is speaking to him, and it becomes really personal at that point, doesn't it? It's not just a voice, but now his eyes are riveted on a person, the second person of the Holy Trinity, the Lord Jesus. And where is he? Jesus is not floating somewhere. He's actually walking around among golden lampstands. We talked about all of the various symbols that fill the pages of the book of Revelation, and this is another one of those. There's a circle of seven lampstands and this glorious person is walking around in the midst of them. And what John, because his mind, his imagination was filled and permeated with the images and symbols of Old Testament scripture, he would have known what this is symbolizing here. From Zechariah 4, especially the prophet Zechariah talked about a vision that he had of seven golden lampstands. 700 years before Christ, the lampstands that Zechariah in the Old Testament saw stood in the presence of God in the temple. Some of us know the images of the temple, the holy place. And so there were seven lampstands there. And so John is seeing Jesus walking in the circle of the lampstands and he immediately knows this is a holy place. This is about the burning presence of God in these lampstands. And like a lamp, John is suggesting that the churches are lit and they radiate the light of God. We're going to see more about this. But the point, friends, is that Jesus moves among his churches. Yes, he's enthroned. Yes, he sits as Lord over all, but he's also imminent. He's close. He's working among his churches then and now. One commentator says, Jesus, in this passage, is not an absentee landlord. No, he is present and moving among his suffering 
people as one who has suffered before. The Apostle John begins to describe Jesus, and these are pretty strange symbols for us, aren't they? But they're filled with meaning. And really, you can write this down and go look at it. I'm going to be saying that quite often because, again, we talked about the book of Revelation being one of the most biblical books in the New Testament because the best way to understand it is to look in the margins and see what Old Testament books are being referenced. And this is one of them. John sees Jesus much like he was in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel had a vision, and in the vision... There was the Ancient of Days, Yahweh, the Lord. And in the vision, one like a son of man who looked human but who was divine came and stood before the Ancient of Days. And in that vision, one like a son of man received a kingdom from the Ancient of Days. And so Daniel knew that that was a prophecy about Yahweh, God, the Lord of the universe, and a messianic figure who would appear one day. And so what we're seeing is John is seeing the fulfillment of promises like Daniel 7. This is the son of man. This is him. As a good Jewish Christian, John would have been part of expecting and waiting. And so when Christ, the eternal word, came in flesh, John knew this is him. But now John is experiencing him in a whole new light. He is now the resurrected, ascended, exalted one who's at work among his churches. He describes eight different characteristics or features of the son of man. What's the first one at verse 13? Again, I know that these are, this gets thick here. There is a lot, but If the whole point of what we're doing this morning, like them, is catching a vision of Jesus, let's meditate on him together. So that's my goal. My aim is to help us meditate on him and to look into some of the meaning of these things. The first thing, he's clothed with a long robe and a golden sash across his chest. This is signifying that he is a priest and he's a king. One commentator says this. I put an image up here for you to look at if you want to put the image there. That's an Old Testament priest in the holy place tending to the candlesticks. Listen to what this commentator named Greg Beal says. Part of Christ's priestly role is to tend the lampstands. The Old Testament priests would trim the lamps, remove the wick and old oil, and refill the lamps with fresh oil, like we see up there in the picture. And the priest would relight those that had gone out. Likewise, Jesus tends each lampstand by commending, correcting, and warning in order to prepare the churches to be light bearers in a dark world. So, so much meaning being thrown off here. Jesus is the priest, and he's walking among the churches, caring for them, trimming them, refilling them with oil. And friends, he's here to refill us with oil today. Anybody else need a refill? Let's take a moment. He's here with us this morning, isn't he? 
in worship, my goodness, it's like everything else started to melt away. I was like, you are here, just like Liam is singing. I look at you. I look upon you, and everything else comes into to place. So let's just take a moment. If you need a fresh infilling, you need him to tend to you a little bit, fill you with fresh oil, rekindle your heart, look to him and ask for that right now. Jesus, we do acknowledge that you walk among us, you indwell us. We ask for fresh anointing with your spirit today. We love you, we look to you. Amen. Look at verse 14. His head and his hair were white as wool, white as snow. Again, from Daniel's vision, very interesting, in Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, it's the ancient of days. It's God who has this description. And so John is now seeing Jesus the way the God of Israel was portrayed. The same language is placed over Jesus, which means what? Jesus and God are unified. Jesus and the Father are one, just like Jesus says in John chapter 10. Some of these things are ancient images, but... Basically, this means that it exudes the holiness, the wisdom, the dignity of Jesus. It pours out of his person. To see him is to see the Father. And to see the Father is to see the Son. Again, we could just go on and on. I could go down all kinds of little bunny trails on this. But if you, where else do you think of something being as white as snow? The prophet Isaiah talks about it in the opening chapters. What is that? Your sins were as scarlet, but now they are white as snow. So this is suggesting even here, not only does Christ himself blaze with holiness and purity, but he shares it with his people. So when he walks among us, he gives us his holiness. He makes us white as snow. Friends, this is the good news. Verse 14, his eyes are like a flame of fire. Again, Daniel's vision talks about this, this vision that Daniel had that John is now participating in, in a New Testament context. He is seeing the resurrected Jesus and his eyes are filled with fire. What does that mean? It means many things. First and foremost, it means his eyes blaze with love. The Song of Solomon talks about the love between the bridegroom and the bride, and it's fire that can't be quenched. And so we're going to see as the story unfolds here that when Jesus moves among his church and he looks at his people and he looks at John, his eyes are filled with holy passion and with fire. 
for us. Friends, this is something to meditate on regularly. If you're in the dumps, open Revelation 1. Read this out loud. Get a vision of him. Let him look at you as you look at him. It will change your day. It also means penetrating insight. As we're going to see in the rest of the book, Jesus has laser beam eyes. He's got the true x-ray vision. So he looks into the heart of his churches. We're going to be talking about this in the letters. And he sees exactly where they are and what they need. And it's these eyes filled with fire that ultimately are going to bring not only love and unity with the, the bride, but it will bring judgment against Babylon and against spiritual Jezebel. So his eyes are a flame of fire. Look at verse 15 as we move through these quickly. His feet are like burnished bronze. This is one of the most challenging places in the whole book to really understand what's going on, even in the language, the Greek language. But I think we're safe to say that he has walked through fiery furnaces of testing. And so because he's proven himself and he's walked through the fires, he is now strong and pure and able to share that with his church. Quickly here, verse 15, his voice is like the sound of many waters. His voice shook John, shook the island of Patmos where he was, and it was like a waterfall. It was like waves breaking over him. So Jesus' voice, like God's voice, in Ezekiel 43, 2, is mighty and powerful. It's a waterfall. It's a trumpet. I remember one time, this is the only time I've, I've had this in a dream, I heard the voice of the Lord, and it shook. We lived in Chicago, and in the dream, I don't know how it works that way, but I heard the Lord say something. Some of you are saying, well, what did he say? It was so overwhelming. I don't even know what it was. But it shook the whole building. I remember in the dream, I was able, I was sitting in my apartment in the dream, and, and it shook the windows. And I mean, it was the first and only time I've ever experienced anything like that. And it was holy terror. And so I think John was experiencing that, and he heard the content pouring through. And his Right hand at verse 16, he holds seven stars. The right hand symbolizes authority. And so he's holding these angels of the churches, which he's going to interpret. Is that strange to you? A little bit cryptic? People puzzle over what this is. But in his right hand, he holds seven stars, which is later interpreted in verse 20 as the seven angels of the churches. Again, people have different ways of interpreting this. I think that it means each local church, including this one, has an angel that watches over us and guards us. Why do you say that, Brock? Well, in Acts 12, the text says that every believer has an angel that watches over them. The Bible says it. And then in Daniel 10, we read that nations have angels that serve and watch and battle on their behalf. So I think what the text is saying here is that each of the seven local churches had an angel that watched over them somehow. And yet all the angels are as nothing in the hand of the Son of Man. He holds them in his hand. 
Angels are mighty and powerful messengers of God, but Christ is a Lord of all angels. From his mouth, verse 16, comes a sharp two-edged sword. We'll see in chapter 19 that this is the word of God that proceeds out of his mouth. And it slays the wicked, slays the enemies, those who resist him. But it brings life and breath and surgery to those who embrace him. And his face was shining like the sun in full force. Verse 16, we know from the Old Testament again, Exodus 34 and other places, that the glory of God would shine from the face of Moses. And so what the text is saying here is that Christ himself radiates. He glows with the divine glory. Friends, this is the one with whom we deal. Yes, he is our friend. Yes, Christ is closer than a brother, but he is awesome. And he's full of majesty. And there's holy terror like what John is experiencing here. And that's what we want to lean into in this book. Yes, he is wonderful. He's good. But like Aslan, he ain't safe. (laughs) You can't control him. You can't predict him. You cannot put him in a box. This is Christ, the Son of Man, blazing with the glory of God, brighter than the sun, with a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. I'm just going to mention this here, verses 17 through 20. He talks about being the first and the last and the living one. We saw this last week. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's A and he's Z. He is God's alphabet. He embodies all of God's purposes. He was there at the beginning, and he's there at the end. And this is the one who's walking among the church. 